following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. In the story of Alice in Wonderland, there's this scene, right? And it's a scene where Alice comes to a crossroads, it's a fork in the road, and she doesn't know which way to go. So she asks the cat, the Cheshire cat, and says, hey, which path should I take right here? And, and the cat says, well, it really all depends on where you want to end up. And she says, it doesn't really much matter where I end up. And so the cat says, well, it doesn't really much matter which path you take either. And I love that analogy because although we don't live in um, Wonderland, L.A. is sometimes kind of like Wonderland, isn't it? Kind of weird town sometimes, right? Um, and there's a lot of people at crossroads and taking pathways, not really checking which path they're taking because they don't really, really aren't that concerned with where they're going to end up. I believe you're here today because you have a love for God and a desire to end up in the right place, but not only end up in the right place, walk with God on a journey where you literally get in on everything God has for your life. Is anybody else like that? That's my heart. Not just heaven, but the journey. Jesus came that you might have life and life to the fullest, life abundantly. It's not just heaven then, although that is an absolute reality. It is the journey and the lifetime walking in the will of God and getting in on everything he has for us. The Bible is so clear, and we've set this up in previous weeks that we were made for good works. He created us in Christ Jesus. He has plans established before the foundation of the world, before you were born, things for us to walk out. So God has a will. His will is knowable. And the question really is, do we want to partner with God on his will in our lives, or do we want to do our own thing and hope that God will bless it? When I read the Bible, I see a bunch of people who said, God, you are God and I am not. I want your will, and I trust if I walk in your will, you're going to do wonderful things. And so my prayer this morning is that we would say, yes, I want to line up with God, I want to walk in his will, but how can I really know it? I mean, how can I really discover the creator of the universe, he's, he's beyond description, and he's all-knowing and all-powerful, and if he has a will for me, how can I actually know it? And we started to touch on this last week. And I want to unpack this a little bit more on how you and I can actually know the will of God, the heartbeat of God, what the Spirit is saying or wants to do in your life, how you and I can connect with God. And so if you're a note taker this morning, you might want to write a few of these down. We're talking about discerning God's will, how we discern and figure out, God, is that you? Was that your voice, God? Is that your direction or not? How you and I discern God's will and our launching pad, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we stopped right at this verse because it's a, an enormous verse. It says in Ephesians 5.17, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, not wanting to know His will would be really foolish. Knowing, wanting to know His will would be very wise. But the prayer is, please understand it. Please know what the Lord's will is. No one understand it. And so today, I want us to go through a few of these tests, if you will, how you and I can test and discern uh, and measure and weigh what God's will is or maybe what it's not. And I, I hope these tests will help you. They've certainly helped me over the years. And um, 
Last week, I just want to hit on the first three very briefly. We touched on them last week, and then we're going to move right along where we left off. But last week, the test, some of the best tests that you can have or use to discern God's will in your life is simply the Word of God. All Scripture is Spirit-breathed, meaning the Spirit of God wrote the Bible. That's God's claim. Uh, God says it is alive, literally alive, not a 2,000-year-old printed book, alive and is living and it's active and it actually changes us. It speaks to us. It shows us. It gives revelation. The Word is so alive. So you can't want revelation and knowing God's will without being in the Word. I say that because sometimes some people want to get a word from God or you know, want God to speak or show them something without being in the Word of God. And, and I don't think God operates that way. He's like, my word is alive. It's living. It's, I've given it to you for a reason. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. And so being in the word, word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. There is where we begin our journey with God in walking out his will. In fact, you cannot know God's will outside of his word. That, that's not knowable. The, 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 the will of God is not knowable outside his, his word. He puts some things in society, Romans says, and in, in nature, some basic things. But to actually get traction in the will of God starts with his word. And then the other one was prayer, where we uh, lock in with God and we have conversations and we literally commune with him and we get intimate with God. And through the times of intimacy, we get a greater... Uh, our hearts kind of syncopate with the heartbeat of God. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes through prayer, instead of uh, God changing things, he changes us. Have you ever noticed that? He kind of changes our heart during prayer in these intimate times. In other words, like, I love you, my son or daughter, but you're, you're asking the wrong thing. And through the intimate times with God, he just kind of changes our heart about something. That, that's amazing. Uh, and the third one we said last week, and this is key, is godly friends, to surround yourself with some godly friends. Because everything God did in the Bible, when you look at the New Testament church, they were really a community of the Holy Spirit. That's a great description for the church. A community of the Holy Spirit. People who loved God, committed to Jesus, they had the Spirit of God in them and among them. And God does amazing things in the context of community. And godly friends, wise is the counsel of many, and they help to steer you or to encourage you, or you get to help steer and encourage them. And there's something about what God is doing among us that is, is really, really important. And sometimes it's in those environments where we do get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, and God is doing something more personal and deeper and more intimate. But these are great uh, parameters, if you will, great tests so that you and I can know the will of God. And I wanted to move on today with the fourth one. And uh, the fourth one is um, the faith test, literally the faith test. We tend to be a people that wants to do everything by sight. We, we tend to want to see what the result's going to be, and therefore we do it. We, we tend to want to see all things. It's very natural to want to be able to do that. But the Bible's got a different modality. Um, and the Bible calls us to walk by faith, not by... The Bible calls us to walk by faith and not by... And that is an absolute contradiction to the human nature. Everything about the human nature wants to walk by sight. Everything wants to walk. We don't, you know, we don't get up in the middle of the night and walk around without turning the light on or feeling our way through. We want to walk by sight. It's very natural to walk by sight. 
But in the spiritual realm and what we're called to, there's an invisible journey to it with God's conviction. And that's the, the calling of the believers. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. And this is so important, so paramount, that we cannot discern God's will without the ingredient of the faith issue, the faith test. And so when you're going through things or you're asking, maybe you're making decisions right now in your life or you're, you're at some crossroads in your life and you're, you're trying to weigh out, God, is this your will or is this not your will? It is so important to ask, um, Lord, is this decision going to take more faith or less faith? Uh, it'd be easy to do the easy thing with no faith. And naturally, that's where we default to. The human condition is such that we don't want to do these crazy steps of faith. We would do the easy easy thing to do. But in the Bible, when you read the stories of how God did radical things in the lives of people and communities, um, it always required faith. It always has, it still does, and it always will. We're called by faith, the whole journey is by faith, and faith is a, is a part that won't go away. So in your, in your analysis of discerning God's will, in your measuring, God, is this you or is it not you? Put it through the faith test. Whatever your issue or concern or question is, is this going to require more or less faith? Because our entire lifestyle should be marked by faith. We're supposed to be the community of faith. And so faith needs to be an ongoing agreement, and God has always rewarded faith, historically through the Bible. It's this miracle, really, where the creator of the universe comes down with his power and his sovereignty, and yet, at the same time, he's looking for our faith And he rewards that faith. Our faith alone isn't going to get it done. God's power gets it done. But God's power merges so beautifully with our faith. He's looking for faithful, the ones that are willing to believe in his promises. And if we believe in his promises and we trust him, his power merges so beautifully. And the Bible is full of success stories of people who said, yes, God, to you and your love and your power. And I want to merge that with my faith. And... If we disconnect our faith from that, we see that the, the Bible is also full of stories where people stopped moving forward because of their lack of faith. And that's an important one, to put it through the faith test. And uh, if God is in it, faith will be involved. Everything in my life that's been clearly from God, faith has always been a key indicator. I believe many of you have the same story, where if it was a big step and a big decision, and later on looking back, you're like, God was in that? Faith was in there. Faith was an ingredient. Faith is something we can't get around. So on that note of trusting God in faith, I just would encourage you, make sure as part of the faith test that fear is not steering the equation. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Fear. Fear is the enemy has been uh, historically um, uh, famous for this, about instilling fear in the hearts of people. And that's why when Jesus greeted people, he so often said, fear not. And you think in fear, Jesus, why are you speaking to the fear? Why don't you just say, hi, how are you today? You know, and walking around Galilee, hey, good morning, how are you today? But he'd walk up to people and say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you, shalom. In other words, yeah, your heart's tr- Don't let your heart be troubled. That's Jesus greeting people. Your heart's troubled. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Peace, shalom, fear not, be not afraid. Why? Because fear is a natural thing that grows up in us and the devil loves it. 
and it hinders us from making these steps of faith. And so the enemy might not be able to, you know, cut us off completely, but if he can instill fear in our lives, then we are held back from walking out in faith. So make sure when you're, when you're doing this faith test here, make sure that fear is not a driving factor because fear will always hinder. 2 Timothy 1.7, God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind, which simply means fear isn't from God. It's not from him. Uh, the devil is the one who gives us that spirit, if you will, or that mindset or that heart condition. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, building on the faith theme here is, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I don't know if you guys take, can we say that one together? Do we have that for up here? Um, Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, so let's, let's do it again. And without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing unto him. That's probably American standard. I got a different version up there. But it's impossible to please God. And that's a pretty amazing statement. Like, you mean I can't please God with doing some good work or something else? God's looking for faith. God is looking for faith. He's like, I said it. Do you believe it? Do you love me? Do you trust me? If you do, will you walk with me on this? And God is just looking for faith. He's always looking for faith. So I just want to encourage you, um, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And if you're like me, Every once in a while, you ask for a sign. How many of you guys ask for a sign? Come on, a little more honesty in the house of God? Okay, pretty much all of us, right? And that's okay. Gideon did that. Gideon did that. He's like, God, you want me to do what? You want me to go to war against all these guys with only a few people? That's crazy. I'm going to need a sign. And he asked God for a sign. It's called a fleece because he kind of put it out before the Lord. And he asked God to do one thing, and God did it. And then to make sure, he asked God the next day, hate to bother you, God, but can I ask for another sign? And can you do the exact opposite just to make sure I'm not crazy here? And God, and God gave him another sign. Um, listen, God does give signs, but he doesn't always give signs because giving you and me a sign is really sometimes taking away our faith. Why? Because God's giving you proof. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're asking God, instead of for a sign, we're asking him, I need proof. God, I want proof. God may give you the proof. Sometimes he's given me proof. Sometimes he's given me zero proof. Why? Because God's like, I'm not going to give you proof because I want you to walk in faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please me. And there's a test here in my will, and I want you to do it in faith, not in proof. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by proof. We walk by faith, not by the sign, right? So it's okay to ask for one. But never let a, a lack of a sign hinder you from walking in the will of God. If you stop and wait for a sign, you might be stopped for your whole life waiting for a sign. And God never promised he's given you that sign. That's your condition, my condition. You and me come up with a condition. God, I'll go further if you give me a sign. And if you don't give me a sign, I'm not going to go any further. That's our condition. That's not God's condition. And so sometimes we ask for this sign, but don't let a lack of a sign stop you. That's important. Um, Hebrews 11.1, 1, a great one on this one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. At least New American Standard puts it that way. It's the assurance of what you hope for and the absolute conviction of what you do not see. That is one of the best definitions in the Bible if you ask me about the invisible realm and how it works and how we come by faith and we journey by faith and it will end by faith. The whole thing is by faith. Here is like the... 
the million-dollar description of faith, if you will. It is the assurance of things hoped for. So on what you hope for, uh, to, to read the Bible and know the promises of God, you can say, God, you gave me that hope. I'm not just making up some weird thing. You say this in the Word, God. This is your hope. You instilled this hope in me. God, I'm standing on your promises. And I am going to walk in faith in the things hoped for, and you said it, God, and I can bank on that. Now, if it's some random thing, we don't know where that's coming from. Maybe it's our own hope. Maybe it's not God's hope. Maybe it's our will, not his. But if it's a promise of God, if it's the word, then you could say, God, you instilled that hope in me. It's your word. I'm going to walk in it, and I'm going to walk by faith. And that's what faith is, the assurance of what's hoped for. And listen to this, the conviction of the unseen, the unseen. So we have to be convicted about the unseen. Faith is not conviction in the things that are seen. It's conviction in the things that are unseen. That's really, really important. And speaking of conviction, that is our next point this morning, is the next test for you and I to have. It's the conviction test. The conviction test. And what the conviction test is, it's not necessarily that you just read it in the Bible or you prayed about it and got an answer or you're with friends and they kind of confirmed it. Those are all good and they may be in play here. And so the conviction test is a deep conviction in the core of your soul that you did not make up, that you did not think up, that somehow it seems to be hardwired in your DNA, your spiritual DNA. It's a conviction. It's, it's not a feeling. Feeling is a surface level. Feelings come and go, and feelings change. How many people felt different one day than they did the day before? Anybody else? Okay, that's not a, that's not a conviction. Convictions don't change day by day. Feelings change quickly, sometimes hour by hour, minute by minute. This is not a surface level feeling thing. Uh, in fact, feelings can oftentimes get in the way from hearing the voice of God because our feelings can be deceiving and they can change so dramatically. This is a conviction. This is a God-given conviction. This is where the Spirit of God is speaking to the core of your soul with an issue, something about your calling or your direction or his timing where you like, I don't know, but I just know. Have you ever had that feeling about something? I can't tell you why. I can't explain it to you. I just gotta, I just know in the core of my soul, this is right. This is the time for this. Or this is the direction. And it wasn't from somebody telling you. Of course, it'll line up with the principles in God's word. But, but that conviction is oftentimes the Holy Spirit megaphoning to your soul something about what you were made for, something about your design, your calling, your direction, and it's kind of hardwired in there. Those convictions are, are, are things that God instilled in us. And so the conviction test is very, very, very deep. Um, it says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are so far above yours as the heavens are above the earth. So our feelings oftentimes disconnect. But these God-given convictions, ooh, they go deep to the core of our soul and they, they speak to our very essence of why we were made and what God made us for. So check your convictions and follow those God-given convictions um, because I believe it's the Spirit of God who magnifies those in our lives. There's moments in our lives when he says, now, now is the time. Or you're at a road and it's clearly, that's not what you were made for. This is what you were, there's, there's these paths in our lives, there's these times where there's these forks and these, these segues or crossroads or decisions and there's times in our life where the Spirit of God will, will, will kind of 
amplify a conviction in the core of your soul and, and you, you don't have another reason for it except for, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a deep conviction that won't go away. It's not a selfish thing. It's not me. It's God's doing something in here. That's beautiful. Check with God. And if you don't have a conviction, don't move so quickly. We don't want to make big decisions in lives, which path we go on saying, oh, I kind of feel this, or maybe I'll give it a shot. No, God's got a bigger calling for you than that. On the big decisions, you've got to have a God-given conviction. So make sure when you're discerning God's will that it passes the, the conviction test, the conviction test. I love how uh, John 14, 26 says the Holy Spirit is not only our comforter, which thank God he is our comforter, he gives us peace that passes understanding. Not only our comforter, but he's our counselor. And so he's our counselor. And I, and I was just reading this last night in 1 Corinthians 2. It's, I love how you might want to read this later in 1 Corinthians 2, but it's worded so beautifully. Um, Paul says, who can know the spirit, who can know the mind of a man or woman except for the spirit of that man and woman? Your spirit knows what's going on in your mind. No one else in the room knows what's going on in your mind right now. Some of you are going, this is a long sermon. I'm hungry for lunch. Where's my latte? And I got a football game. I'm TiVo. And I don't know what you're thinking right now. Could be a lot of things. <laughs> but no one knows what's going on in your mind except for you, right? Paul says it's the same way with God. No one knows the mind of God except for the spirit of God. The Spirit of God alone knows the mind of God. And yet, the Spirit of God is imparted and instilled to us through Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, to not only be our comforter, but to be our counselor. And that is so radical to me to start getting more in tune with the Holy Spirit and therefore getting more in tune with the mind of God. You want to know God's will? Get more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Some churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. I don't know why. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. We need him. How much more do we need his counsel today than ever before? The way things are changing and decisions are coming up and we're being bombarded with stuff. It's not a time for our feelings. It's a time for deeper convictions in the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is the season for this church. This is the time. Um, so you've got to follow those God-given convictions, the things that the Spirit is yelling out to you. Uh, the next one is this. Um, the next one is the, the trial test. I wanted to call this the trial test. And the reason I want to call it a trial test is because the way you and I often react when we go through a trial, uh, how many of you know that a trial can bring out the best in you or the worst in you? More honesty? Should be every Right? It does. Trials are tough. Trials, we get crushed. We get squeezed in a trial. It can bring out the best or the worst in us. And God knows that. And God knows that. And I think God's trying to move us along at a different pace than we're willing to move along with. And to get us a little further down the road and to get us advanced in his kingdom for the other things he has, we got to get through some things. And sometimes we have these trials. And when we have a trial, we often don't like it and we often want out of it. We want out of it. Like the Israelites in the desert, we want out. And God's not so quick to take us out. He's trying to take us through. Amen. So the prayer is often, get me out of here. God beam me up kind of thing. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I want to do here. The trial is not a bad thing. Consider it all joy when you go through trials. They're building a perseverance, a character and a hope. There's a bigger picture. I'm trying to bring you through the trial. I'm not trying to take you out of the trial. So when we're in these trials, we oftentimes 
think this is lame, this is bad, I want out. That's our first prayer, God get me out of here. And oftentimes that trial is part of his will, that he's trying to do something through the trial and bring us through the trial. So the prayer should be, God, you're sovereign, I'm in a trial, help me glorify you in this. Help me, I mean, if you really want to lock with God's will, help me glorify you in the trial. And so this is an important one because this has a lot to do with our modality and our mindset of, of looking at the things we go through in life and, and locking in with God. And so uh, if you really believe that all things work together for good, if you really believe all things work together for good, then you have to say, God, let me give you glory in this trial. Show me how I'm going to do this well. Uh, we forget sometimes that when you look at a piece of coal, which is very cheap and dirty and not very valuable, and a diamond, which is one of the most precious gems on the planet in value and beauty, it's the same substance, it's the same thing. The only difference is one went through pressure and heat and time and poof, came out to be this amazing diamond, priceless. And the other is just a dirty piece of coal, not worth much anything. Same substance, all carbon. But one goes through heat and pressure and time and it comes out priceless. I believe it's that way with our lives and the trials. You say, God, get me out of here. And he's like, I'm trying to turn you into a chunk of, from a chunk of coal into a beautiful diamond. Will you work with me on this? And so I know we don't feel that way, but that's what's going on with the trial. So the trial test is really, really important. And if you're like me, during the trial, sometimes you're not understanding his will. But after the trial's over, you look back and get a little bit more like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get it now. In the trial, it's hard to understand this. After the trial, we see with more clarity. And I think that's the case with our trials. Um, the last one I want to end on. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up to, to join us. This last one I want to talk about is our attitude and our heart condition for the, for, for, the, for the church at large. And I don't mean the local church. I'm talking about the community of believers, the family of God, literally the family of believers. The Bible has a lot of terms that it uses for the family of believers. We're called the body of Christ. We are called the church. We're called the, the called out ones. There's a lot of terms, the fellowship of believers. There's one word that's used, a uh, very endearing word, from the heart of God about the church. It's called the bride. We are called the bride. We're the bride of Christ because he loves us. And I believe one of the tests we need to pass to discern God's will, one of the things we need to weigh out is literally the bride test. The bride test. How you and I look at the bride. Now you might be thinking, what does it have to do with God's will in my life? I'd like to suggest it has a lot to do with God's will in your life. The reason is we tend to, by nature, look at everything about God's will very personal. I want God's will for me, for me, for me, for me, for me. That's our prayer, it's our aim, it's our direction, it's our lifestyle. God, however, the loving Father who, who loves the family of believers like all of his children, has a little bit different love for the family than you and I do. Oh, we love the family, the local believers, and in general, the church at large, but God has such a love for the family of believers that we're not really locking in with his heartbeat on this. And I say that because when we think of God's will for us and God's will for all of his children, I don't know if we ever put those side by side and weigh this out, but I think if you're growing and you're getting more mature in the faith, you need to start weighing this one out. 
because this is the heart of the Father. If you're a parent and you have children, plural, and, and one wants to stop the car and go do something when you're on a trip, uh, the father loves the whole family. And the father's not ignoring that desire of that child, but there's a much bigger story in place here with all the children in the car. You guys understand where that's going? There's a bigger theme going on with the love for the whole family that you can't necessarily stop for the, for the child. Maybe you were raised in a household like that where everything didn't stop and focus on you. It was for the benefit of the family. Does that make sense? We don't always apply that to the kingdom of God and his family. We often think, think about what's your will for me, God? What is it for me? And I think if you're growing, you've been in the faith a while, I think God wants you to understand this next dimension, which is when you're discerning God's will, put it through the bride test. The bride test, literally. Ask yourself this question. And this is, this is maturing in the faith. This is growing. Is it best for me or is it best for the bride? That's a million-dollar question. If you're at that stage in your faith where you're ready for that, because some are like, whoa, I'm new. I don't even get that. That's cool. You will. Is it best for me or is it best for the bride? Is this the best thing for me right now? Like what I want to do, like pull the car over, I want to get out? Or is, or is God saying, I love the family. I'm trying to do something for the family here and I would love your participation. Would you go along with this? And I'm not saying just the local church. I'm talking about even like when we shared back to Bethlehem for the body at large, for the bigger picture, for what the Spirit of God wants to do in our community, in our city, in the world even. There's a bigger picture going on. God who loves his children, who looks down and he's not partial, is trying to do some bigger things and yet sometimes we're so focused individually like a little child and not looking at the big picture. And if you're ready for this step, I would encourage you to make sure your discerning of God's will passes the bride test. Is it best for me? Is it best for the bride? Does it build others, others up? Does it cause division? Because 1 Corinthians 12, whether you know this or not, says you are part of the body of Christ. We think we're all solo, but God says spiritually, you're not solo, you're part of a body. And I'm trying to do things with the body and you are an integral part of that body. And yet sometimes we think so individual, so solo, just me and God, like a lone ranger. And God's like, no, there's no life outside the body. We're all part of this body. So it's really important to understand this. And how you and I see the church matters so much. I really believe if you're maturing in the faith, that if you don't have a grasp on this, if you don't have a grasp on God's view of your part in the bigger body as a really big deal, then I think you're going to miss out on some big things about his will. I, re- I really do. Um, and, I, and that may be a word for some today. Uh, looking at what's God's will for my life and God may be wanting to put you in check and saying, what's my will for my bride? Is God's question back to you. What is my will for my bride? What is my will for my church, my children, the family of believers that I love? I see you, I love you, and I, I'm not losing sight of you, and I'm trying to do things in your life, but until you come to terms with the bride and what I'm doing for my beloved, which is my church, my family, locally and globally, until you come to terms, and, and, and are you, if you're not ready for that, you're not ready for the next thing. Because sometimes, like that little kid pulled a car over, I want to go to Disneyland and go on a couple of roller coaster rides, God. And he's like, I'm trying to do something here. We're in with the family. There's a momentum going on. And so for you and I to not disconnect from that part of 
the body. And so ask God when you're praying, does this pass the bride test? Where does this fit into his assembly, his bride? Again, not just the local church, the bigger picture of the community of believers and what God is trying to do uh, among us. That's a great one. And so on that note, I want to close in prayer, asking God to seal some things in our hearts, specifically his will in our lives. And uh, mighty God, I just, I just thank you for these passages. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.